Hi there, I'm Maddie and I serve on the Joy Production team. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Through taking the time to listen to this message, we pray you'll not only come to know more about God, but you'll come to know more about yourself as well. Once again, thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy today's message. I want to use this opportunity and I, I man, I've thought long and hard about this, prayed about it, talked in just different things and I wanted to, I, I thought this, part of the reason we've structured the service that we have in the way that we have is because I want to talk, I thought since, since, we're ask, since we have asked you for money, uh, I want to talk about money, and I wanted to talk about money without the pressure of feeling like I'm manipulating or feeling like I'm trying to get you to give more. We're not taking a third offering today. And for those of you that that maybe uh, for those of you that maybe are newer here, uh, we don't say a lot about money, and there's reasons for that. And and uh, right now in our church life, joy to the world is the only time that we really ever do a second offering. I don't want to say it's, it, it will always be that way. Uh, there may be some other things that would warrant that, but I don't say a lot about money because I know that money is a sensitive topic for a lot of people. Um, I know that there are, well, and, and as a pastor, I'm sensitive to it because I hear that, I have heard that common refrain of, well, all the church wants is my money or, or, or you know, it's just money, money, money. And so I'm, I'm, I'm aware of that and, and I'm aware of people who come to this church for the first time or people that are uh, you know, giving God a, a first opportunity to do something in their life. And so we, we really try hard to not do that, to not, to not talk a lot about money. And yet, I think it is, and, and part of it is that I know that some of you have been hurt by that. Some of you have, have felt manipulated or you've felt guilty or ashamed. And that's, that is never our heart. We never want to do that ever in anything that we do. And, and I do know that there are ministers and ministries that have uh, the term fleeced the flock um, perhaps have been manipulative, um, and and uh, I will never, just to reiterate what I maybe said a week or two ago, uh, you will never hear me from this pulpit or platform criticize another minister or ministry. I'll just never do it. I don't believe it's, it's my responsibility. I don't believe it's my business. don't think it's yours either. I may have some opinions, but those opinions will be kept to myself. Uh, have you ever noticed that people had have a personal opinion? It's not personal. <laughs> they, want to, they want to share their personal opinion with everybody. It's like, could you keep that personal? Anyway, um, and the other side of that coin is, that was just, that was not intentional. The other side of the coin, as we're talking about money, is that there are just people that have bad attitudes. Their spiritual gift is one of complaining. And just because a person may be, uh, have a bad attitude about giving or about money or maybe they have a bad attitude about financial stewardship doesn't mean that you or I should have a bad attitude about financial stewardship as well. Uh, the Bible over 2,300 times, depending on your version, has things to say about money. God is not silent when it comes to our stewardship of the resources that he brings into our life. And so when we talk about money, when we talk about stewardship, we talk about those different things, there are a couple of things that, that perhaps you may or may not have heard. And again, I'm, not, I'm always conscious of this in our audience and, and people that attend. There are, are those that are vit, veterans of Christianity. They've heard, they, they've heard a whole lot of stuff. There are those who, 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 in a spiritual sense, don't know that two plus two is four. Uh, uh, they haven't heard anything. And so let me just give you a couple of things. We've been, over the last three weeks, this is our fourth week now, we did a series that we called 315. And the heart of, of 315 was Pastor John, Pastor Tommy, myself, as one of three, we shared some thoughts about First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And that very first part, it says this in First Peter 315, and the answer says, make sure that you, that in your hearts you honor Christ as Lord. Make sure that in your heart that you are honoring Christ as the Lord of your life. And Lordship has 
things, responsibilities. It has ideas. Pastor Tommy last week talked about the umbrella being under the umbrella. Pastor John the first week talked about some of the issues related and what does it mean to make Jesus the Lord of your life, some lordship issues when it relates to your life. And so when, when we're talking about lordship, and, and he goes on in some things we'll talk about, and I, I, I want to get through a couple of technical things to get to really what I want to get to this morning. And, and so when we talk about financial stewardship, while there may be some, uh, some nuances in this, I, I want to do a 30,000-foot view. Uh, when we talk about finances, uh, giving in church, those kinds of things, it really breaks into two categories. There are offerings and there is tithe. And, and we could, some of the nuances, almsgiving or benevolence type things, uh, uh, you know, giving to widows, the poor, all of those kinds of things. Those are some nuances, but, but generally speaking, there are the offerings. The offerings is something that you do from your heart. Offering is something that you direct. An offering is something that maybe God speaks to your heart, and there is a particular cause or a particular area or a particular place on this planet that, that, that is on your heart, and you want to give towards that. Joy to the world is an offering that you would give. The tithe is different from that. The tithe is, is what we understand to be the first 10% that goes to God. It goes to the kingdom of God. And so when we talk about those two different things, it really boils down, I think, to a, another issue. And, and that's the one that Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, that God wants to be number one in every area of our life. Amen? God wants to be number one, not just in our spiritual life, not just on Sunday morning. God wants to be number one in how we use our time. God wants to be number one in how we use our abilities. God wants to be number one in how we, how we structure our priorities and how we steward the finances of our life. God wants to be number one in all of those areas of our life. And I think that that is indisputable. I think that that is something that every Christian, every believer, every single person would probably say, yeah, that is what God wants to be. He wants to be number one. And so we give offerings and, and the tithe. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, there's a whole bunch of other verses that talk about this. This is one of the most commonly used references when it comes to the tithe. It says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so that there will be food in my temple. And if you do, I love that, if you do, don't have to, but if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it and let me prove it to you. One of the only places that God says, let me prove something to you. If you do this, I'll do that. If you bring the tithe into the storehouse, and a tithe simply means tenth, this scripture is asking us to bring the first 10% of our increase to God. Now, I know that for a lot of you, that's like, whoa, hold on, Pastor Brian. Slow your roll just a little bit here. Wait, what? 10%? I mean, I'm not making it right now on 110%. Let me just go through a couple of things that I think that will help you this morning. First of all, there were th three main reasons for the tithe. Number one, it went to support the Levites. The tithe was something that was formalized under the ministry and the leadership of Moses as, as he was journeying through the wilderness. They had come through Egyptian captivity. Now God was, and they had a lot of wealth. They, you know, we think of a, a poor wandering nation through the wilderness, but the Bible says that they left Egypt with all the gold and the silver of the Egyptians. They had, they had great wealth, and so God started to teach them about money using Moses to establish some different things. And, and so the tithe was designed to... Uh, 
to, to be able to support the Levites who were devoted to the work of the Lord. And, and really, as they went into the promised land and, and God said, I want you to establish houses of worship, cities, and towns. I want there to be the voice and the name of God. The Levites were assigned to those cities. And basically, that tithe was, was to be able to employ or keep people in full-time ministry so that the, the, the commandments of God were followed, so that the, the worship of God and the sacrifices and all of those things were, were carried out. It also, the tithe went to help the Levites to support those and, and provide a budget which the Levites could use to help people. But really, the first 10%, more than anything else, is a declaration of faith and trust in God. And God asks for the first without us being assured that there will be second or thirds, without us being assured that there's going to be enough left over. God says, if you put me first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And so he says, when you bring the first part, it is a declaration that you're trusting me for a second and a third. And, and, and God had some things to say about those who would give him what was, what was left over. And, and, and so because, because tithing became more prominent and became formalized during the, 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 the leadership of Moses, people assumed that, that, that tithing was something that was under the law. But when you, I mean, either a quick Google search or, or actually studying your Bible, you will find that Abraham gave tithes. 430 years before the law was ever instituted, there were people that were tithing. Jesus, in his ministry, when he was confronting some religious leaders, in Matthew chapter 23, he said, you know what? You guys are tithing. You're, you're tithing. Man, you are tithing to the nth degree. You are tithing spices and making sure that you give 10% of your spices to the house of God. And he said, you should do that. But he said, you're neglecting the weightier matters as well. Tithing was something that was understood in the ministry of Jesus. And there will be others who would say, well, you know, but, but the apostle Paul, he didn't say anything about tithing. And, and so therefore, you know, tithing is a part of the law. It's not a part of the New Testament. If I were to read to you Psalm 150, Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise him on the instruments. Praise him with the brass. Praise him with the drums. Praise him with the cymbal. All of you would probably nod your head in agreement. What we experience in worship this morning with instrumentation, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Do you know that David, as king, he developed over 100 musical instruments to be used in the worship of God? Most of us would never, ever, ever have any problems with using an instrument to worship God. And yet, do you realize that there is a whole denomination, the Church of Christ, that does not use instruments in their worship today because it's not in the New Testament? Jesus didn't use instruments. The Apostle Paul didn't use instruments. We don't find the word instruments used in the New Testament. And so, therefore, they don't. Just because something's not mentioned in the New Testament doesn't mean that it's not appropriate for the New Testament. My personal belief is that the Apostle Paul spent time teaching. <laughs> he spent time teaching on things that changed from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, which is why the, the reference to faith and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was a totally different dynamic in the New Covenant than the Old Covenant. And so Paul spent time addressing those issues that were predominant. We could look at, at early church history. I don't necessarily, you know, it's not Bible, but, but early church history. There were historians, one named Irenaeus, who was a, a disciple of Polycarp and the Apostle John. And, and he, Polycarp, I'm sorry, and the Apostle John. And he said this. He said that, that, that tithing was continually taught by the disciples during this time. So, 
Is tithing New Testament? Is tithing Old Testament? I, I believe that tithing is, is for today. I'm not going to argue with you about it. I, that is my opinion. That is my belief. And I believe that it is borne out in Scripture. I believe that it is borne out in a lot of different things. But that is not necessarily my point today. But if you think that tithing is something that we don't practice because it's under the law, then why would it not be okay to covet your neighbor's wife because it's under the law? Why would it not be okay to murder somebody because that's under the law? Why is it not okay to lie if it's just under the law? Well, we, we have scriptural reference and evidence why the law was placed aside and now our followership of Christ is different, has taken on a different shape because we're under the new covenant, not the old covenant. But here's really what my point simply is this. We can argue about a lot of things. We can discuss a lot of things. And that's not my intention today. I have a totally different intention this morning. But one thing that you can't get away from, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth. Give him the first share of your crops. Then your storerooms will be filled or will be so full that they can't hold everything. Your huge jars will spill over with fresh wine. One thing that we can't argue about is that God says, I want to be first in your life, and that first place in your life includes your finances. And God says, I want you to honor me with the first part. And we can go all the way back to the book of Genesis. This is not a law thing that God wants to be first. This is a Bible thing. This is a God thing. He wants to be first place in every part of your life. You go back to the book of Genesis and God said, I've created trees that are beautiful to look at. I've created trees that you can eat from. He said, you can go freely and you can eat and you can have all of that stuff except for this one tree. That's mine. Don't touch it. Cain and Abel, he said, I want you to bring the first part of your income, the first part of your increase to me. We can go to the promised land. And God said, I'm giving you a land that flows with milk and honey. I'm giving you, you know, houses that you didn't build, fields that you didn't plant. It is all yours. You're going to go in and conquer, and you're going to spoil cities. You're going to take all of their wealth except for the first city. The very first city is mine. Don't you touch it. And one person went in, he stole some of the gold out of that city, he put it with his stuff, he put God's stuff with his stuff, and the next city that the nation went to, they got their butts kicked. And they're like, what happened? And they found out that someone had touched what was, what, what, God said, this is mine. I want to be first in your life. And so the question isn't how much do we give, the question isn't, is God, you know, a, a New Testament, Old Testament, the question is, is God first in my finances? And that's the question that you need to consider. The rest of it to me is just a bunch of noise. Is God truly number one in your finances? Does God have first place? And, and perhaps that answer would make you to consider a different scoreboard this morning, a different scorecard and how we are actually doing in making Jesus Christ the Lord of every part of our life. Not just our fire escape, not just our eternal security button, but actually Lord of our life. Is he number one in my finances? And if he's not, who is? And I know, trust me, I know this morning that for some of you, first place in your finances is your mortgage company or it's your credit card or it's debt or it's all kinds of other, maybe it's just you and your own personal lifestyle and choices. And maybe some of you, you've never heard any of this at all. Totally, totally get it. And this is what I want to talk to you about this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it says this, Make sure that in your hearts you honor Christ as Lord. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks. Be ready to give a reason for it. 
do it gently and with respect. And I, and I want to just share with you, and I, man, I've gone back and forth about this. I've struggled with this because I do not want it to sound self-serving. I do not want it to sound anything other than with as much gentleness and respect as I can generate this morning. There's a reason that I'm passionate about giving to God. Shelly and I settled some things years ago about finances and about stewardship and who is going to be number one in our finances. And, 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 and I want to share a couple of those things because our thoughts and our actions as it relates to stewardship weren't arrived at because we were on staff at a church or because we were pastors. Our thoughts about financial stewardship were arrived at, at study, application, and application when it was con both convenient, but more importantly, when it was totally inconvenient to give something to God. Our thoughts and actions and heart about giving, we believed in the tithe. We believed that God said we should give 10%, but we weren't tithers. We weren't givers. We would try it for a while, and then something would happen, and something would come up, and then we would stop, and then we would start, and then we would stop. But about 30 years ago, sitting at a church service just like this, we weren't pastoring. We weren't helping. Or I'm sorry. We weren't serving at a church. We weren't on staff. But sitting in a service like this, we made the decision that, God, you're going to be number one in our finances like every other part of our life, and we're going to do everything that we can to honor you with the first part of everything that we ever get. And I don't know if you know this, but God's got a sense of humor. And I can't go, I don't have time to go into everything that happened and transpired during that whole entire season of our life and of our ministry. But in that time that we were helping out in this church and, and we knew that we should tithe, and so we just made the commitment, we're going to tithe and we're going to continue to give. And at that, around that same time, God was dealing with my heart about full-time ministry. We had been in full-time ministry, youth and children's pastors. I led worship down. We, we were in Texas. We came back to Minnesota, and there was a season like, God, do you want us to do this? It, it doesn't feel like this is something that we want to do for the rest of our life, and it you know, kind of beat up and a lot of different things. And, and so we were helping in a church, just involved in a church, and, and, and God started to, to, to work on our hearts about pastoring full-time or ministry full-time. And I had a friend in Pennsylvania who called and said, hey, would you come out to Pittsburgh and be our youth pastor? And I, I, I was like, you know, I think God is, is dealing with our hearts to, to pastor a church. And, and we had to answer that first question of full-time ministry. It's like, all right, God, I, I think this is what you want us to do. And every morning for six months, I woke up. And for a half hour, I'd just pray in the Spirit, pray in the Holy Ghost. I'd worship God. And I just continued to pray, just continued to pray, and just continued to worship. I read the book of Proverbs. I probably read the book of Proverbs 30 or 35 times in that six month because Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And I knew I needed wisdom. And so during that time, God, do you want us to be in full-time ministry? Shelly's now pregnant with Steph. Yeehaw. So I, I have a pregnant wife. The place that I'm working says, you know what? We, we really like how you do what you do. We are creating a new position and we're considering you for that position. It would require a little bit of travel. Uh, it would effectively, we would probably double your salary. Uh, we would provide a vehicle for you to be able to get around. And, and uh, I'm thinking to myself, you know, man, this is awesome, God. I mean, I'm involved in a church. I'm doing ministry. I'm helping out. I'm doing stuff. And, and this would afford us the ability, if, if Shelly wanted to, she could, she, she could, you know, not have to work full-time or part-time. She could be a stay-at-home mom if that, was, if that was what she wanted to do. And God, this just seems like your timing. It's such a blessing. 
So one day I'm driving down the road and I'm listening to a cassette tape and listening to a preacher preach and he just off the cuff mentioned this scripture and he said, those who preach the gospel must live by the gospel. They should get their income from the gospel. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I was justifying a position because it was convenient for me and it was comfortable for me. And so we answered the question, yes, we're gonna pastor a church. That was tough. And then we... Had to know where to pastor a church. And there was a church in the Brainerd area. Had a bunch of people that were already attending. They had money in the bank. They had equipment. They had a building. They had all kinds of stuff. And we're like, God, that would be convenient because it's close to home. And, uh, and, and we like to fish, you know. So, I mean, it's, God, that must be your will. Well, God has a sense of humor. And we ended up out in Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania. And um, there wasn't one thing in the natural at first. It has a lot of natural, not a lot of natural beauty that we discovered, but it was not a place we wanted to be. And the church had been through, I call it a three-quarter. They used to have 100 people in their church. Then they were down to 25 people, and that's what we went to. During the discussion phase is the interview process and all of those other things. One of the things that they wanted to talk about was money. And I said, you know what? I don't want to talk about money right now for two reasons. One is if you tell me that the salary is $50,000 a year, it's going to be hard for me to say no. If you tell me that the salary is $10,000 a year, it's going to be difficult for me to say yes. I want you to know and I want us to know that this is what God has for us. We will trust him the rest of the way. Well, long story short, we were invited to be the pastors of that church, which we accepted, and our salary was $600 a month. And uh, I was kind of like, <clears throat> you know, that's, I have a pregnant wife and... And, you know, we're no different than anybody else. That's, that's, that's tough. <laughs> and so I worked full-time during that season. Um, and before we ever got there, we got a phone call. Hey, uh, we just want you to know that we have found out that the IRS is investigating this church. And uh, the previous pastor didn't do some things. And we want to know if you're still going to come. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I know God knew this before we ever said yes. And so... Our answer is the same. We're still coming. And, and, and through the help of another church, we were able to get that all resolved and taken care of. But I, I don't know if the IRS makes you nervous, but it made me real nervous. I mean, the last thing I wanted to do, the first, first thing you get to deal with is that the IRS is investigating your church. It's like, yeehaw, you know. And so, so there we go. And, 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 you know, we made a commitment that day when we started pastoring that church that we've carried into this church that, that every bill will be paid first. Then employees will be paid second, and then we'll, we will be paid third. And that, that happened often in, in that church in Pennsylvania because it was so difficult and so tough and so tight with the finances. The first test that I had in that church as a pastor, as a leader, was a test over finances. A gentleman came to me, and he said, I'm getting to a point here, so hang on. <laughs> a gentleman came to me, and he said, he said, Pastor Brian, I think we should have a van ministry. Our church had, the church had an a, a old van and I wasn't opposed to it. And I said, well, that's great. You know, why don't we talk about it? Tell me what your plan is. What are your thoughts? He came to me and he said, well, we've had the van. The van was gone over. The people went over the van uh, months ago. And the van needs tires. It needs brakes. It, and we think it should have a cassette player so we could listen to worship music, bring all these people to church and all these other things. And I said, yeah, 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 I, I, I get that. It probably needs some stuff. But what's your plan? Who's driving the van? What's the schedule? What's the route? What's going to happen? He goes, well, I haven't really thought about that, but this is what we need. And I said, well, I said, you know as well as I do what the financial position of this church is. 
And, and there's not money to do those things. I'm not necessarily saying, no, we can't do this, but, but this is not something to do right now. And he got very upset with me. He was mad at me. And he said, listen, he said, I've been told that I am the biggest giver of this church. I'm the most consistent tither in this church. And if you don't do this, I'm going to take my tithe and I'm going to send it somewhere else. I had to swallow really, really hard. And I said, listen, I'm not a prostitute. I'm not for sale. I don't believe that this is what God wants us to do. And you know what that guy did? He never left the church, but he sent his tithe somewhere else. And that put the church behind. It was so hard. It was so difficult. But you know what? God's bigger than one person. And over the course of those couple of years, we watched God just continually increase the church and increase us. We were able to buy a building. We were able to do a lot of different things in that community and in that church that people thought were impossible. Not because we were so much, but because God was so much. Now, I shared all of that with you to share this with you. I don't want that to be self-serving. I don't want that to be, oh, poor Pastor Brian and Shelley. That is not my intention this morning, and it's not designed to try to get something from you. I'm trying to tell you why I believe what I believe. I'm trying to do what Peter said. Give an explanation for the hope and the reason that you do what you do. And those couple of years were some of the most difficult years that we as a couple have ever faced. There was temptation after temptation after temptation to not give. Temptation after temptation after temptation to not put God first with the tithe in our lives. And there were times we wanted to justify, say, it's only this. It's such a small amount. And we were, man, we were ruthless. Shelly was a, she was like the couponer. And she was the person that when there was a rebate, she got the rebate. And if we got a dollar rebate, a dime went to God. And, and, and we know what it feels like, church, to be upside down, to be backwards, to feel so buried in debt, using credit cards, feeling like you will never, ever ever get out from under that debt. We know what it feels like to sit in a church and want to do more, but know that you can't. And yet in all of that time, we continue to put God first. (laughs) Steph came home one, or Crystal, our oldest daughter, came home one day all excited. I got a special lunch card. I get free lunch. They give me free lunches at school, and we're like, yo, please, shh. Don't, let's not tell people that. That's, you know, that's just between us. That, you know, that's just, we don't want people to know that kind of stuff. You know, all of those things that, that went on during that time. And, and, and so <laughs> there were times after church, we say, hey, you want to go to lunch? It's like, yeah. But we knew we couldn't unless they were willing to invite us. And, and it's like, are you inviting us? And you're going to you know, cover the cost of lunch. And it's like, yeah, let's pinch the baby. And, oh, baby's crying. We need to go home. You know, we know what all of those things feel like. We know, we know what that is. And I'd love to tell you, doggone it, I'd love to tell you that somebody wrote a great big check and all of our debt was gone. I'd love to tell you that somebody put a bunch of money into our hands and, and, and that it was all good. I'd love to tell you that I was out metal detecting and I found some gold coins. But can I tell you that none of that stuff happened? But little by little, our faith grew. Little by little, as we continue to trust God and give, God continued to give increase. So I'm here to tell you this morning, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to get something for you. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm sorry. 
my heart is so grateful. Here's something to remember. The one who plants, and this is intuitive, we understand this, the one who plants only a little will gather only a little. One who plants a lot will gather a lot. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. This is the question. What does it look like to put God first? This is a heart issue. This is not a percentage issue. This is not a should I or shouldn't I issue. This is a heart issue. Each of you, and I think Paul was, I don't know if Paul was ticked off at this point or what. I, I swear. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. And he says, you shouldn't give if you don't want to. You shouldn't give if you don't want to. You shouldn't give because you're forced to, because God loves a cheerful giver. And I, I think Paul's kind of like, you know what? I'm kind of tired of dealing with this whole thing. I, I'm done with this conversation. Give if you want to. Don't give if you don't want to. I really don't care because the attitude of your heart is that God wants a cheerful giver, and you're about to take my joy from me. And I'm not losing my joy. <laughs> but this is the point. And God is able. If you believe this, if you believe that God is able, it changes everything. And God is able to shower all kinds of blessings on you. It's the reason that two weeks ago I talked about right standing with God. If you're not convinced that you're right with God, then you will seek other means and methods to become right with God. And our thought that maybe we're not right with God is what limits our thinking and believing that God is able to shower us with his blessing. So in all things, at all times, you will have everything that you need. You will do more and more good works, church. We are going to do more and more good works. And then Paul quotes from Psalm 112. He said, it is written, they have spread their gifts around to poor people. Their good works continue forever. And here's the point. God supplies seed for the person who plants. He supplies bread for food. God will also supply and increase the amount of your what? Your what? Your seed. And he will increase the results of your good work. I need you to see this this morning. Four quick things. This is what we've learned. Number one, God provides a seed, not a harvest. We have been taught in Christianity that God is going to bring a harvest into your life. And we are thinking of a harvest being the completion of something. But this scripture doesn't say that God brings a harvest. He brings what? A seed. And when you get that seed, you have a choice. You can eat the seed or you can plant the seed. You have a choice what you are going to do with that seed. God responds to your need with, for a harvest by giving you a seed. And the reason that he gives you a seed is because it requires faith to plant a seed. It does not require faith to, in, to get a harvest. The second thing is that it's sowing not sacrifice. I do not believe in sacrificial giving. I do not believe that giving should be sacrificial. Because sacrificial giving means to me that I'm going to give the last of something or I'm going to give something because it's all that I have and now I don't have any more. It's not sacrifice. It's sowing. When I give, I believe I'm getting something back. When I give, I believe I'm getting something more. That's what this verse says. He gives more seed to the sower. So it's sowing. It's not a sacrifice. God is able when we're not enough. I love this thought. That's what he says in this scripture, that, that in all things, at all times, you'll have everything that you need and you will do more and more good works. God is able when you're not enough. 
When our seed seemed so small, so weak, so insignificant compared to the mountain of debt that we had accumulated and all of the things. I mean, to be totally frank and honest, ministry put us behind during that season as a couple and as a family. And, 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 uh, <laughs> but guess what? God was able. And so in that, God is able when we're not enough. Remember when Jesus, he gave an assignment to the disciples. He had been preaching and teaching, and there was a great big crowd. And I know that I've gone into overtime. I'm just about done. Great big crowd that was out there, and, and the people were hungry. And the disciples recognized the need that was there. They went to Jesus about it. And Jesus said, I want you to feed them. He gave them an assignment. You feed the people. And they looked at what they had and it wasn't enough. But they brought the not enough to Jesus. And we say that Jesus fed the 5,000. But literally what it really was, was the apostles, the disciples, they fed the 5,000 with what Jesus provided for the assignment that he gave them. And from 1987, when we went to Apollo, Pennsylvania to pastor that church, to 1991, when we came to Joy Christian Center and established this church and started it, it was with this singleness of thought that God has given us an assignment, and whatever assignment he gives, he will give the provision for the necessity of the house, whatever the assignment is. It is up to God to be my source. And God has brought provision through you and your time and your talent, your treasury. And God has brought us all together so that we can meet needs. And when we are thinking that it's too small, God says he's more than enough. And so my last thought is simply this. God is the one who gives the assignment. I've said this many times about myself. The role that I have in this church at this present time is that I am... <laughs> I'm just a manager. I'm a representative. I'm the branch manager of a worldwide organization whose goal is global domination. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is the world that I have been called to to preach the gospel in. And God has brought you and he has brought me. It is the reason that I will never, ever publicly, I will never, ever talk bad about another minister or ministry because their assignment is probably different than my assignment is. And so I don't care if they have a big house. I don't care if they fly a jet around the world. I don't care what they do because their assignment and my assignment are different assignments. And I didn't give that person the assignment. God gave the person the assignment. And if God gives the assignment, God can revoke the assignment. God can fire the person, me or whoever it is. God can fire them. He's big enough to get it done. Amen? So don't worry about that part. We're on assignment, and God, God gives provision to make sure the assignment has happened. It's part of the reason that the song more, there is still more, there is still more, it just burns in my heart that there is more. Amen? Amen. So Joy Christian Center, thank you so much. Again, my heart is so grateful and thankful for you. And I, I don't know that I can convey and communicate it well enough with just the words that I have, but that's what I have. And I want you to know that I want the best for this church. I want the best for this congregation. I want the best for you. But ultimately, I want God to be glorified in this church. Amen? Amen. And he wa I want him to use us. 
to make a difference in central Minnesota. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for the patience and the heart of this congregation to allow me to share my heart in this way. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word today. And Father... Ultimately, we just want to bless you. Ultimately, we want to make the declaration that you are number one in every area of our life. Father, we want to accept the assignment that you've given to this church to be a family church that teaches people to go back to their world and reach them, teach them, and make a difference. And so I thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. God bless you, Joy. Have an awesome rest of your day, and we will see you next week.